Um, yeah. Just uh, let your eyes close and notice that the great Mother Earth is holding us, is offering herself for your support. And with the next breath, just release with the exhale anything extra that you're carrying. Just let it flow out. Ah. Ah. Release. Any extra holding in your body, in your heart. Anything extra that you've been carrying today can just flow out with the next breath. Ah, yeah. Coming to rest. Being at ease. So stay close to yourself as we continue. Keep your attention close to home. And you can let your eyes be open or closed, but let your body be relaxed, resting on the earth. And we'll keep coming back to remembering this. One of our most important practices is pausing. So in the middle of talking, in the middle of listening, in the middle of walking, in the middle of everything that we do in our lives, we can pause and reconnect. So I want to begin tonight talking a little about why it's so important for us as women to take this kind of protected time and space to reconnect with ourselves, to reconnect with our bodies, to reconnect with the natural world, what we're doing in this retreat. When women are in touch with ourselves, with life, our bodies tell us all we need to know about the nature of life. As women, we feel and know and are intimately interwoven with the cycles of life within our own bodies. Women care for life from the beginning to the end birth and death and everything in between. And so when we're awake, when we're in touch with ourselves, with life, we understand intimately, naturally, 
the changing, flowing nature of life, the preciousness, the fragility, the sacredness of life. It's not a surprise when we hear about this. We innately know about life. So why do we need to talk about it? I think it's important to name this simple truth that women have natural access to wisdom. Because we live in a world where the innate wisdom of women is mostly not recognized. The word recognize is important in spiritual practice. You might, you would hear about it in different ways. It's important because it lets us know, it reminds us that what we're being invited to is already here. We just need to recognize it. We don't need to figure it out. What we're invited to recognize is our true nature, our essential nature. To remember who we are. It is by definition who we are, our true nature. So we don't have to go outside of ourselves to find it. We don't have to make it up. We don't have to figure it out. We are just invited to relax into ourselves into the present experience. Whatever it might be, any moment is the doorway back home to ourselves. Isn't that astounding? It doesn't have to be a special moment. We're invited back to the actual moment. And the actual moment is both incredibly ordinary and totally mystical. So when we do this work of honoring our innate wisdom, of not only learning, we're not only restoring our trust in ourselves and in each other as women, We're not only restoring our trust in our innate access to wisdom, we are also helping to heal the wounds of generations of women. Our world needs us to find protected time and space to care for our inner lives. Every woman needs sacred time and sacred space. And so this is what we're here for. Everything we do in this retreat is in support of this simple reality that we can, in any moment, relax into just being and remembering, coming home, 
coming back home to our true self, our innate wisdom is right here. So let's just pause for a moment. This is a pause. Come back into your body, your heart, and notice how these words might touch you. What you notice, what you feel. You know, I was, um, yeah, so just staying close to yourself. You can let your eyes be open or closed. I was sitting in a women's retreat not long ago, and I, I had the thought, women should be natural allies. And my next thought was, and it's not always easy. Even when we have the beautiful intention to support each other, the truth is that every one of us at some time in our lives feels ambivalent about being a woman, about other women. We are descended from generations of women who have in different ways not felt honored, not felt respected. And so every one of us carries the conditioning of where we've come from. I like the word conditioning because it is a neutral kind of word that reminds us to be compassionate with ourselves and with each other. That all the experiences of our lives come with us into every moment. And the good news is that we're living in a time when we have tools and possibilities for healing the separations between us as human beings and between us as women. And the practice of awareness, what we're doing in this retreat is one of those tools. So this is really important work. I invite you to let yourself notice the impact, the importance of what we're doing for our world, for our families, for our communities and for ourselves, healing the generations, interrupting the lineage of woundedness in our female lineages, doing work that perhaps our mothers or our grandmothers couldn't do, didn't have the tools, didn't have the opportunity. So we've all come from somewhere. Um, Some of you might be old enough to remember and might have been 
in this tradition long enough to remember that in the beginning there were no female images anywhere. There were not, well, let's say, I think there might have been one story or two stories about awakened women. Mostly not any female pronouns. But the most shocking and interesting part about this is most of us didn't notice the absence. There were no female Buddhas, and I never asked where they were. That's uh, pretty shocking. So the absence of the sacred and female form, the absence of honoring of the feminine, as sacred, has been internalized and forgotten by all of us, by women as well as by men, by generations of women who haven't been included and haven't noticed and haven't known how to include ourselves. So images and stories and beginning to notice when they're not there is part of the way we remember, part of the way we begin to restore what has been forgotten. And this is a process that's going on in every spiritual tradition, not just this one. Putting back together the lost sacred feminine lineages is going on in all the traditions. And it's going on in very personal ways in individual lives of women. A few years ago, my daughter and I took a pilgrimage to some of the places on the planet where you can still find traces. If you know where to look, you can find traces of time, of thousands of years, of times when the earth, the Great Mother, was honored as sacred. Ancient stone circles in England, sacred springs and holy wells in France. If you go under Short Cathedral to the crypt, you can see the holy well, even though it's now covered and locked and mostly forgotten. The cathedral was built on top of the holy well. Isn't that amazing? And so now, there is this cathedral built to a more recent manifestation of the sacred feminine. It's interesting to notice that most of the cathedrals in France are dedicated to Notre Dame, Our Lady. Another place where we found the, the, the thread of connection to the past. In Crete, there are large limestone caves. This is one of the places on the earth where the goddess was honored for a very long time. And 
just above these caves, or sometimes inside the cave, there are little chapels built to honor the more recent manifestation of the feminine. And so there's the continuity of, of honoring through time, through different traditions, for thousands of years. So we sometimes call her the great mother of many names. Many names, many faces, many manifestations. I want to invite you to visit the altars in the center of the room, in the center of our circle, and in the back of the room. There are some of the many faces. Some ancient earth goddesses, There's a stone goddess from Africa. There's Isis and Mary. Also images of ordinary women, mothers, grandmothers, to remind us that one of the parts of our path may be to reconnect with our own lost sacred feminine lineages. My grandmother was my first connection with what I now think of as the sacred feminine. She knew something about unconditional love. I realized today she was my holy well. I knew that I could always go to her. She would always welcome me with open arms, no matter what crazy thing I did. Moving to California, learning to meditate She was always there. She understood that what was important was loving the children. That was it. The story was extra. I just want to pause for a moment and invite you to notice what's happening, what are you noticing about your own connections, or maybe a longing for a connection. Imagining the possibility of a connection with the sacred feminine. Maybe imagining, maybe there is a connection that you'd like to stay open to remember to reconnect. and knowing that you can come back to this possibility. So I want to tell a story, but first I want to make sure we're all awake. So let's just take a moment to stretch right where you are. You can stand if you want to. You can change your position. Whatever it would take for you to come back in the room, come back to your body.
Maybe this is another moment for that release with the exhale, just ah, ah, letting go. Check, just check those familiar places in your body, maybe your shoulders or maybe the muscles of your face or another place. Where do you hold extra, more than you need to hold? For some of us, it's the belly, the shoulders. And just take another minute to connect to those places. Ah, oh. release. <clears throat> so I'd like to tell you a story that is a very old story from the ancient land of Samaria in the Middle East. It's the story of the descent of Inyana. There are so many things to notice about this story. I, every time I go back to it, I see something I never noticed before. Tonight I invite you to listen for the turning point of the story, which comes with the arrival of compassion. When compassion arrives, everything changes. So this is a story about the importance of compassion, about really about what we are doing in this retreat, which is being present with compassion for ourselves. As our story begins, Anyana is already the queen of heaven and the queen of earth. And yet she intuitively knows that, un- that her understanding of life will be limited unless she also understands the underworld, the land of death. And so Inyana, the queen of heaven and the queen of earth, consciously chooses, consciously chooses to go into the unknown. She clothes herself in all of the symbols of who she is. Her robe, her crown, her lapis lazuli necklace, her golden bracelet, seven symbols and all. And so we see she goes as the queen. This is not someone being taken into the underworld. She is choosing to expand the range of her understanding. She wants to be wise. She wants to understand all the cycles of life. So before she leaves, Inyana says to Ninshabar, her closest attendant, if I'm not back in three days, go for help. Well, that was a really good idea that she said that, as it turns out. So just as in dreams, in this timeless story, we can see each part, each character, um, as a part of ourselves. And so Ninshabara can be seen as the competent one, the part of us who keeps watch, 
when we go into the unknown, when we go into our vulnerability, when we go into our fears. The underworld is the domain of Ereshkigal, who is Anjana's sister. Ereshkigal was once the grain goddess who lived up above. Now she has been exiled into the underworld, which under patriarchy has become a dreadful place of no return. In the underworld, Ereshkigal has to eat clay and drink dirty water. Her husband has died. And she is filled with grief, with loneliness and despair. Ereshkigal wants to help Inyana understand the experience of grief, of vulnerability, of, of loss and of death. And so, as Inyana passes through the seven gates into the underworld, she is stripped of all the symbols of her identity, of her queenship, one at each of the seven gates, one, of, one symbol of her, of who she is, is taken away. And finally, Anyana is killed and her corpse is hung on a hook on the wall. So this image of Anyana hanging on a hook on the wall in the underworld is certainly shocking. And I've come to understand that it's also a very important image to have because the truth is, every one of us, at some time in our lives, feel just like that. There are times in our lives when that's just how we feel, as if we're hanging on a hook in the underworld and we're not so sure how we're going to get out. When will it end? Times of confusion, of overwhelm, of grief, of depression. Times when the competent part of us who knows what to do, who keeps everything together, may fall away or may at times be consciously put aside so that we can include whatever we may not have had time or space to feel in the busyness of our above-ground lives. A retreat can be a time like this. We've put aside our competent part. You don't really have to do very much here. We ask you to come on time to sittings and do your work practice. Pretty much, you don't have to take care of anybody. You're here for yourself. So, I want to just diverge for a moment from our story to, to tell you a side story, little side story. little side story that tends to happen. It seems important. So a few years ago, uh, a woman uh, who had been doing some very, very difficult 
research um, for a book that she was writing, she called a, a number of friends together. She asked us to meet with her to create an inyana ritual. She had been traveling. Uh, she traveled to South America uh, to talk with the mothers of the disappeared. She, talk, she traveled to Asia to speak with young women who had been sold into prostitution. She came home and wrote her book, and she said, I feel as if I'm still hanging on the wall in the underworld. I need you to come and be with me and help me come back. And so we had a ritual retelling of the story of Inyana. And at the end, we had a feast to welcome our friend home. That was when I began to realize how important this story can be for us as women. Whether it's our work, whether it's our, our families, our personal health, some great loss. When we feel our vulnerability, it's good to know this too is part of life. This is one of the cycles of life. In those moments, it's good to know we're not the only person, we're not the first person who's felt this. Even the queen of heaven and earth needed to go into the unknown to learn about life, to learn about all the parts of life, not to leave anything out of our understanding of the nature of life. So back to our story. There's something interesting happening here. Are you awake? Okay, here's what's happening. Areshkagal is feeling her pain. She's feeling her suffering. She's mourning. It sounds like she's mourning. It also sort of sounds like she's giving birth. She's saying, oh, my body. Oh, my body. Oh, my heart. Oh, my heart. Oh, my back. Oh, my back. Meanwhile, up above, Ninshabar notices that Anyana has been gone for three days. So she goes for help, but f- at first no one wants to get involved. Who wants to intervene in the underworld? That could be really dicey. So she goes to all of these beings and nobody wants to help. Finally, she comes to Inki, the god of water, wisdom, and creativity. Isn't that a great combination? Water, wisdom, and creativity. He's sometimes also called the trickster. I like the way that Sylvia Brinton Pereira talks about Inki in her book about Inyana. She says, Inki is the generative, creative, playful, empathic male who is able to improvise 
to create what is needed in the moment. She says he often mediates between the world of the fathers and the feminine. Isn't that great news? So good to know that somewhere out there there's some being mediating all of this. We really need help. (laughs) Mediating the world of the fathers and the feminine. So how does he do this? Listen to this description. He flows creatively and therefore holds the possibility of restructuring rigid systems. He holds the possibility of restructuring rigid systems. Isn't that the story of your life? Restructuring rigid systems. It seems like what we're having to do at every turn. In the story of Inyana, he cracks the inertia of the old paradigm. He cracks the inertia of the old paradigm. So how does he do that? He does it by including what has been left out, what has been ignored. He does it by attending to the feelings, by attending to the emotions. Very creatively and playfully, he takes a little dirt from under his fingernails. This is the creative part. And from this insignificant stuff, he creates two little creatures who, interestingly enough, are neither male nor female. They are so small and so humble and so non-heroic, so small and humble and non-heroic, that they can creep in through the gates of the underworld undetected. And they can get very close to Ereshkigal. And these two little empathic beings have been given the gift of being able to stay present in the face of pain, in the face of suffering. And this is the moment in the story when compassion arrives and the whole flow turns. Everything starts to go in the other direction. As these two little beings come close to Arash Kagal, they very respectfully begin to mirror her suffering. And when she says, Oh, my body, they say, Oh, your body. And when she says, Oh, my heart, they say, Oh, your heart. They stay present for her pain. Maybe this is a good moment for us to pause and just feel yourself. Feel your body, feel your heart. Just touching very lightly with your awareness. Whatever is here, it's okay. It's part of life. It's included. Whatever we are each 
experiencing in this retreat, there's space for it. In this moment. Bringing the quality of compassion. Ah. Hmm. And just staying close to yourself. That's what we're doing here, staying close to yourself, creeping close, closer to yourself a little bit more each moment. And whenever you forget, you can always creep back in, undetected. Nobody needs to know you're doing it. This is a very private practice. So stay close to yourself as we hear the end of the story. So pretty soon Ureshkagal notices what's happening and she says, Who is this who's here with me, staying with me, staying close to me, Who is this staying here with me in my grieving? Who are you? So you might notice that Ureshkagal has softened. Being met with compassion, her heart has opened. She's become tender. She's become generous. She says, how can I thank you? I want to give you a gift. And they say, we don't want a gift, we just want that corpse hanging on the wall. Arash Kagal says, that's your queen. And they say, we know, we just want the corpse. And so they tenderly take Anyana down from the wall. And they give her the water of life and the food of life, which they have conveniently brought with them, along with compassion the water of life and the food of life. And Anyana arises and prepares to leave. But the rule is that when somebody leaves the underworld, someone else must take their place. So the story goes. Her husband has to go down, then his sister In fact, the truth is, every one of us must at some time enter into the unknown to learn about loss, to learn about grief, to learn about vulnerability, to learn about death. When Inyana returns from the underworld, she has learned to include in her Awareness, all the cycles of life. Now nothing is left out of her wisdom. And nothing can surprise her anymore. Nothing can surprise her anymore. She understands life and death and everything in between. So now she's the the wise woman, fully embodied in her wisdom. A very important part of this story is that Inyana chooses 
to meet the unknown. She consciously chooses. This reminds us, this reminds us of the possibility that we can choose, to choose, to meet what life offers, whatever life brings, as the goddess, with the presence of the goddess, with the presence of the sacred feminine in us, the wise woman in us. And this is what we're doing here. This is what we're cultivating together in this practice, in this retreat, the possibility of including all of life, the 10,000 joys and the 10,000 sorrows, nothing left out of our hearts. So just taking a moment to feel that possibility. Imagine what is possible when nothing needs to be left out of our hearts. So I want to close our time together with telling you about a dream. So close your eyes since this is really a a dream image. Let your eyes softly close and relax into your sitting. This is a dream from Sue Monk Kidd who you may know as the author of the book The Secret Life of Bees. She describes a dream that came to her during the time when she was gradually learning to trust and open to the sacred feminine, to the great mother in all her many forms. She says, I had a dream. I was wandering through a dusty old museum. I was looking at statues of the divine All the images were male. I wandered for a long, long time until I came to one of those hidden rooms that often turn up in dreams. Inside is a marble statue of a seated woman with a very large lap, a goddess. She is very much like Mary in the Pieta, who held the body of her son in her lap. But this lap is empty. And so in my dream, I crawl up into her lap. And to my astonishment, the marble becomes warm, soft flesh. The goddess comes to life and holds me kissing my wounded places.
As we come to the end of our evening, may we each feel ourselves held in the arms of the Great Mother, the arms of compassion, the arms of blessing, the arms of unconditional love. And may we each rest peacefully tonight. Thank you.